This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. 98.7 ESPN New York. Cavs are in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. Uh, Cavs are one of uh, a handful of teams expected to do big things in the Eastern Conference this year. It's appropriate, I think, that the opening night includes two Western Conference matchups. The Western Conference is so much stronger than the Eastern Conference right now. I mean, it, it, and it's not even close. It's funny because we spent about 15 years where there was this like huge gap between the Western Conference talent and that in the East. And the only thing that kind of kept that gap even close was LeBron James's presence in the Eastern Conference. And LeBron getting to eight consecutive finals, four with Miami and then four with Cleveland, winning three of those eight finals, it's a tremendous accomplishment. It's one of his best accomplishments. But you do have to be honest about one thing, and, and I'm not trying to disparage LeBron's accomplishment. I just said it, it is one of his best accomplishments. But you have to take into consideration that for a lot of those years, whether he was with the Heat or during his second tour of duty with the Cavaliers, the second best team in the Eastern Conference were teams like the Indiana Pacers with Paul George as their best player and Lance Stevenson and Roy Hibbert starting were teams um, like the Toronto Raptors, were teams like the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, these were the teams that the Cavs or the Heat with LeBron had to go through to get to the NBA Finals. Still a terrific accomplishment getting there eight consecutive times, but there was so much more talent in the West. Um, it, it's starting to veer that way again, especially with the situation going on in Philadelphia. Now, James Harden, and, and, you know, if you don't know the timeline, just a quick recap, signed a one-year player option for $35 million in the offseason, and I don't even think the ink was dry, and he demanded a trade, and the 76ers, Daryl Morey, their general manager, said, all right, well, we'll try to trade you, but we're really not interested in doing that, and unless we get equal value, we're certainly not giving into your trade demand. And then Harden went on the record, called Maury a liar, said he would never be part of an organization that Maury was part of. And he did report to training camp begrudgingly, only because if he didn't, he would have lost a significant amount of money. And the first week or so, it seemed like, this time last week, in fact, it seemed like when the season started, Harden was going to be out there for the 76ers, along with Embiid. Um, not happy, but trying to make the best of it. And then, of course, this week, Harden doesn't show up for practice for two games in a row. They have a new head coach in Nick Nurse, a very good coach, an NBA championship winning coach, something Harden can't really come close to saying that he's an NBA champion. Uh, Nurse has to deal with this headache to begin. But that further weakens the Eastern Conference. I mean, if you think about last year, there were three teams in the East that were above the rest during the regular season. Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia. Interestingly, none of them went to the NBA Finals last year. It was the Miami Heat who had the seventh best record during the regular season last season that made a run to the NBA Finals as the eighth seed. But if you take Milwaukee has changed its look, obviously, essentially replacing Drew Holiday with Damian Lillard. So they're better offensively. They're worse defensively. And we'll see how that nets out. The Celtics have gone through dramatic changes. Marcus Smart is gone. Malcolm Brogdon is gone. They got Chris Stapps Porzingis. They now have Drew Holiday. So they have a drastically different look. And then the 76ers, if you ask me right now, are they going to start the season without James Harden? It looks like they are. 
So now you take one of their top three teams, and now it's a top two teams because one of those is significantly depleted without Harden. So the the spot for that third best team in the Eastern Conference is up for grabs, and the Knicks are squarely in the conversation to be that team. Now, the Knicks didn't really distinguish themselves during the preseason, and it's preseason, so you don't want to make too much of it. But especially defensively, there were some concerning things that you saw with the Knicks preseason, especially the last preseason game where they gave up 130-something points to the Wizards. The Wizards are supposed to be the worst team in the NBA, at least in the Eastern Conference. And Jordan Poole came into Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night and scored 41 points. And the Knicks played their guys. They played their starters, same starters as last year, Brunson and Grimes and R.J., and Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson. And they played most of their bench unit. Josh Hart was out there. Isaiah Hartenstein was out there. Dante DiVincenzo was out there. In fact, there was really only one guy in Tom Thibodeau's nine-man rotation who didn't play in the final tune-up before the regular season begins. And that guy was Emmanuel Quickly. Now, Quickly is due a rookie contract extension. He is eligible to sign a rookie contract extension. The way this works, you have to sign it before the start of the season. So the deadline to sign this is Monday at 5 p.m. Season starts on Tuesday. are presumably actively negotiating right now, and they have gone back and forth, and they have not been able to really, it doesn't sound like, come close to an agreement. And the deadline to come to an agreement is Monday at 5 p.m. Now, if they don't, quickly's under contract this year. What that would mean is that at the end of this season, Emmanuel Quickly would become a restricted free agent. Emmanuel Quickly, he's one of the most popular Knicks. He's got a great personality. He's got an exciting brand of play. He's a really good three-point shooter. He's an energy guy off the bench. He's a late first-round draft pick who... Almost immediately, his rookie year, and this will be year number four for Quickly, almost immediately endeared himself to Knicks fans by working his way into the rotation. He's a guy who's hit big shots. He's had big moments. Now, is he a perfect player? No. Sometimes his shot selection is off. He's not a big guard, so sometimes he can get bullied defensively by bigger guards that he's trying to check. But his on-ball defense has improved over the course of his three-year NBA career. He hits big shots, but sometimes he goes ice cold. Emmanuel quickly last year was the runner-up for the sixth man of the year. And late in the season, when Jalen Brunson was battling some injury issues, quickly moved into the starting lineup. And as a starter, he averaged about 20 points per game last season. And one of the things, and if you're a Knicks fan or if you talk to Knicks fans... The sense I get from doing those things, talking with Knicks fans, is that they really like this team because, well, first of all, they're good. And, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, before Tom Thibodeau got to New York, it was seven straight years without going to the playoffs and not even coming close to the playoffs. And a lot of David Fisdales and a lot of Jeff Horniseks and a lot of Derek Fishers and a lot of Kurt Rambises during those seven years, a lot of Phil Jacksons. And then... Tom Thibodeau comes in, and his first season, they go to the playoffs. Last year was his third season. They go back to the playoffs. They've gone two out of three years. They won a round last year. Knicks fans like this team because they're a good team. There's very little, if any, drama 
around this team. You know, um, I guess the biggest drama over the last few years is Julius Randle's body language. You know, people don't like that. You know, and and the Julius Randle thing, and I've had this conversation. It, it does make me shake my head. Even the other night at the Garden on Wednesday night, Randle has the ball. All right, on the wing. And, you know, he's jab-stepping, he's jab-stepping, he's holding the ball. This is a preseason game. You start to hear groans from the Garden crowd. It, 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 it's amazing how Knicks fans who love this team don't like Julius Randle. I'm not saying all Knicks fans, but there's a larger portion than there should be that don't like Julius Randle. Since he's become a Nick, he's averaged like 22 points per game, 10 rebounds a game. He's been a two-time All-Star. He's been All-NBA twice, once All-NBA second team. Last year, he was All-NBA third team. It's it, it, it's it's amazing to me that after four years and all that he's produced for this team, there are still fans that don't like him. But overall, they like the rest of the team. They love Brunson, obviously. He's the point guard who Knicks fans had craved for 30 years. And then a reason why Knicks fans like this team so much is because so many of them are homegrown, which is a credit to the front office, Scott Perry, and now more recently, Leon Rose. Drafting well. The Knicks have drafted well. You know, you go back to R.J. Barrett, 2019, third overall pick, homegrown kid. That's why they liked Obi Toppin so much. Eighth pick, 2020, he was a homegrown kid. So is Quickly, 25th pick in 2020. Quentin Grimes, 25th pick in 2021. Knicks fans, most fans, and New York fans always lean towards rooting for guys who came up through their franchise as opposed to guys who came from the outside. Randall, part of the problem is that he came from the outside. He signed as a free agent. Never mind the fact that when all is said and done, Julius Randle's probably going to go down as one of the best two or three free agent signings in the history of the Knicks franchise. Unfortunately for Randle, he happens to be teammates with a guy who, when it's all said and done, might go down as the best free agent signing in the history of the franchise, and that's Jalen Brunson. There are some exceptions to fans liking the homegrown guy better than the guy from the outside. In the case of Brunson, it's the position that he plays. Like I said, the Knicks hadn't had a real steady upper echelon point guard since, you know, Mark Jackson in the late 1980s, early 1990s. So for Brunson to come in and do what he did last year just vaulted him to the top of the list for a lot of Knicks fans. But the reason why Knicks fans like this team, or one of the reasons is that they are largely consisted of Guys they drafted, guys they've developed, homegrown guys. Mitchell Robinson is another one. Second round pick in the 2018 NBA draft, which brings me back to Quickly. All right? Quickly is a very, very popular Knicks player. And he's an important Knicks player. But the situation with Quickly is this. The Knicks would love to pay Emmanuel Quickly somewhere in the range of $20 million a year. They would love to give him a four-year, $80 million contract, have him sign it, and away we go for the next four seasons. If you look at some of the salaries on the Knicks, Jalen Brunson, for example, last year signed a four-year, $104 million contract. He's getting paid $26 million a year. R.J. Barrett, four-year, $107 million contract. He's getting paid $26.8 million a year. If you look at Brunson making $26 million or R.J. making $26 million, 
then you would say, okay, cool. Especially in the case of Brunson. Brunson's making 26. Yeah, quickly making 20. That sounds about right. Well, then you look at what Josh Hart is making. And and not only what he will be making next season when his contract extension that he just signed over the summer kicks in, but the fact that he just signed it. And in August, Hart signed a four-year $81 million contract. Now, when Josh Hart came to the Knicks last year, that's when their season turned around. They immediately went on an eight or a nine game winning streak. I think they were 17 and eight or 17 and nine when Hart was in the lineup. I mean, he was he was literally the missing piece. I mean, there were articles and columns comparing his presence on the Knicks to what Dave DeBusher brought to the Knicks. That was a little bit extreme. DeBusher's presence on the Knicks led to ultimately two NBA championships. Maybe Hart's will too, but I think the Knicks are a long way from there right now. But the fact of the matter is, Hart was the piece, especially playing for Tom Thibodeau, that they needed to vault them into a top-five team in the Eastern Conference, a team that ultimately won a round in the playoffs and came within two wins of advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. Josh Hart did all of that last year. The market for Josh Hart this offseason, when he was eligible for an extension, the market for Hart does not appear that teams were lining up to pay him $20 million a year. So if you're Emmanuel, but that's what the Knicks offered him, and that's what the Knicks signed him for, a four-year, $81 million extension that begins next year. In many ways, for Hart, the Knicks were, were bidding against themselves. You know, the market for a bench player like Hart, who's not an above-average three-point shooter, is usually in the range of 15, 16, maybe, maybe $17 million a year. So if you're Emmanuel quickly and you just were the runner up for the sixth man of the year and you're younger and you're homegrown and you're in theory still on the upward trajectory, as a guy like Hart, who's 27 years old and while a very effective player, I think we know who and what he is right now. If you're quickly, and you see that the Knicks are paying Hart $20 million a year, and they've offered you $20 million a year, you're like, no, I want $25 million. If Hart's worth $20, i am worth $25. And that's the position that the Knicks have put themselves in with this. Never mind what they're paying Brunson. Never mind what they're paying RJ. Never mind what they're paying Julius Randle. If I'm quickly, and I'm quickly's agent, I'm looking at the most recent contract that the Knicks offered to one of their players, and that was Josh Hart for $20 million a year. And if I'm quickly in his camp, I think I'm worth more than that. And that's the trouble that the Knicks are in right now because they're not going to be able to sign him for $20 million a year. So do you want to pay Emmanuel quickly $25 million a year? You probably don't, okay? I think that's probably a bit of an overpay. But then that brings us to option three. Do you want to lose Emmanuel quickly after this season? Because what happens if quickly doesn't agree to a contract extension before the deadline at 5 p.m. on Monday, he becomes a restricted free agent. He plays this year on his already agreed upon rookie salary. And then in the offseason, any team has the right to offer him a free agent contract. The Knicks have the right to match that offer. And if they do, quickly remains a Nick, but if the Knicks don't, then quickly leaves as a free agent. And there are teams, there are bad teams in the NBA right now, like the San Antonio Spurs, like, well, I'm not going to call the Orlando Magic a bad team, but they're a team that has 
salary cap space after the season. The Spurs are a bad team. One of the reasons they are is because they haven't spent any money on their roster. Therefore, they have a ton of money available under the cap next offseason. The Spurs are starting Jeremy Sohan, who last year was a six foot nine inch rookie power forward. The Spurs are starting that guy as their point guard this year. You don't think that's a team that's in need of some backcourt help? The Orlando Magic have tried to draft a bunch of guards who up to this point have not panned out. Cole Anthony, first-round draft pick, has not really panned out. Jalen Suggs, the former star for Gonzaga, has not really panned out. They've got Paolo Boncaro. They've got Franz Wagner. They're an improving team. They would be a perfect team to sign someone who can help in the backcourt and who has experience playing in big games, which Emmanuel quickly does. How about the 76ers? Who knows how this James Harden thing is going to play out? No matter how it plays out, Harden is a free agent after this year. Tobias Harris, who makes upwards of $35 million, is a free agent after this year. That's $70 million right there with just those two guys coming off the books in Philadelphia. If they need to break this whole thing down and fill out their roster, maybe they offer Emmanuel quickly a contract for $30 million a year. And if that's the case, if San Antonio or Orlando or Philadelphia or one of these teams offers quickly a $30 million a year contract then the Knicks can either match it and completely pay more than they want to pay, or they lose a very valuable piece of their rotation for nothing. Now, the Knicks did make moves, one specific move in the offseason that at the time I thought set them up to sign quickly to this extension before the season began. We'll talk about that and what the impact could be if quickly doesn't come back. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Uh, Knicks lost to the Wizards, 131-106. to The Wizards, now the Wizards are going to win a couple of games this season. We won't do a lot on the Wizards, I promise. But they're the kind of team that they're not good, but they have some guys who, if they get hot on the same night, uh, are going to win a couple of games. Well, Wednesday appeared to be one of those nights at the Garden because they hit 23-pointers. They were 44% from downtown. They were 21 for 23 from the free throw line. And I mentioned this earlier, Jordan Poole scored 41 points, hit six three-pointers. Mike Mascala scored 20 points, hit five three-pointers. It's part of a bigger story regarding the Knicks and their struggles in that game defensively against a team that does not have a lot of talent on it. Now, Emmanuel quickly didn't play the final two preseason games for the Knicks. Um, It was, I guess you would have to categorize it as a quote-unquote win for his camp on Wednesday night, seeing what this team looks like without him. I, I think the Knicks know Quickly's importance to the team. What will ultimately be answered, I have an idea of how it will be answered, but I'm not prepared to answer it right now because we need to wait and see. But what will ultimately be answered out of the situation is, did the Knicks overpay for Josh Hart? And did they box themselves into a corner by signing Hart to that $20 million a year contract that has spilled over into Quickly's contract negotiations. Because again, if the Knicks went into this thinking that they knew Hart was eligible to sign, they knew Quickly was eligible to sign. 
if the Knicks went into thinking this, that Hart and Quickly are going to command the same salary on an extension, then I, I think they misunderstood the value of two players on their roster. You know, Quickly, as far as NBA value goes, he's 23 years old. He's younger. Um, he's a better offensive player. Quickly commands more salary than Josh Hart does. It's not to say that Josh Hart isn't an important guy on this team and wasn't a very important guy on this team last year. He is. But if you just look at the two of them, age, position, shooting ability, I, I think most people in the NBA would understand that quickly would command a higher salary, a bigger contract than Josh Hart. So again, if you're the Knicks, do you pay quickly $25 million a year now? Right, I, I think Quickly's side is probably at least I'm. I hope that they're realistic because I, I, I referring only to the hard contract of him making about twenty million dollars a year. You know, there is the other end of the spectrum where Jalen Brunson's making twenty six million dollars a year. All right, Jalen Brunson's the best player and the most important player on the team. I, I don't think that Quickly, because there's that ceiling with Brunson's contract, I don't think that Quickly goes in and asks for more than Brunson. Because that's not going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. But does quickly look at Hart making twenty, Brunson making twenty six, and want to settle in at twenty five million dollars a year? I'm sure that he does. So if you're the Knicks, do you pay him twenty five million dollars now, or if that's too rich for your blood and you don't sign an extension before the deadline and you play out the season and quickly has a similar year to the one he had last year? And in the second half of the season, he was like a 20-point-per-game scorer. And he went from not even part of the conversation for six-man of the year to he was the runner-up for winning that award. If he goes out and does that again, and then you see the teams like an Orlando or a San Antonio or possibly a Philadelphia that are going to have salary cap space and can offer him a four-year, $120 million contract in the offseason to try to jumpstart their rebuilds, the Knicks aren't going to match that. They're not going to pay him $30 million a year. So do you pay him 25 now? Or do you risk losing him for nothing in the offseason? Now, Obi Toppin, and this is the cost of doing business when you draft well. This Knicks regime, for the most part, has drafted well. One of their draft misses, if you will, was Obi Toppin, who they selected eighth overall in 2020, the same year they got quickly at 25. Getting quickly at 25, unbelievable value. Getting Grimes the very next year at the exact same spot, 25th overall, unbelievable value. I still think Obi Toppin, another popular Nick, by the way, is going to be a good NBA player. I think he's going to flourish in a new increased role with Indiana playing with a really good point guard in Tyrese Halliburton. And I bring up Halliburton's name because he was available when the Knicks drafted Toppin at number eight. So Toppin, when I say that that was a miss at number eight, it's more a reflection on who the Knicks could have had instead of Toppin. And they could have had Tyrese Halliburton instead of Obi Toppin. Now, in the offseason, the Knicks ended up trading Toppin to Indiana for two second-round draft picks. And, and Knicks fans were upset because they did not think that that was enough value for a guy who they just picked number eight overall three short years ago. But what the Knicks were doing was they looked at quickly being eligible for a contract extension. Toppin was also eligible for a contract extension. 
uh, off of his rookie contract. And if not, he could be a restricted free agent after this season. And next year, Quentin Grimes is going to be in the same spot. The Knicks could not pay all three of Quickly, Grimes, and Toppin. Any Knicks fan who has watched this team over the last three years, if I ask you who's the most expendable of that three, you're going to tell me Obi Toppin and you're going to be correct. So the Knicks got out in front of it. They traded Obi Toppin. But the idea was, okay, now Toppin is not part of the equation anymore. You should be able to sign quickly this year. You should be able to sign Quentin Grimes next year. And here we are. The clock is ticking. We're 48 and a half hours away from them actually not signing Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. It's a good problem to have in the sense that you've drafted well. You know, the Knicks, even before Leon Rose got here, have drafted well. You go back to Mitchell Robinson, second round pick in 2018, he got paid. R.J. Barrett, third overall pick in 2019, he got paid last offseason. You drafted quickly, 25th overall in 2020, sixth man of the year runner-up last year. Quentin Grimes, 25th overall pick, late first-round draft pick. He's a starter now, entering his second season as a starter. You've also traded well. You traded for Hart. He got paid. You signed Jalen Brunson. He got paid. You signed Julius Randle to a free agent contract, paid him then. He played well for you. He got paid again. Who's the only one missing of the top players on the Knicks? It's Emmanuel quickly. So he's looking around. Mitch got his. RJ got his. Hart got his. Brunson and Randall, of course, got theirs. Where is mine? So that's where quickly's coming from right now. And he didn't play those last two preseason games as a message, as a precaution. And we'll see if something gets wrapped up over these next 48 hours. But if it doesn't, I think that Knicks fans are unfortunately going to have to watch this team with the strong reality that it's going to be Emmanuel Quickly's last season in New York already. You know, and for a team that, going back to, I mean, the 90s were different because the Knicks were always so good, they weren't about drafting and developing players. And the results were there on the court. Playoff appearances every year, trips to the conference finals, couple of trips to the NBA finals. That's fine. But once that success started to die down and Jeff Van Gundy left and then you turned to the 2000s and the playoff success was not there, the high draft picks were, but they just did not pan out. After all of those years of not seeing draft picks pan out, it's it's tough to see one pan out here Emmanuel quickly has been a terrific draft pick for this team. And if you're not going to have him on your team after four seasons, that's going to be that's going to be pretty disappointing, especially when you already cleared out Obi Toppin to theoretically try to make room to make Emmanuel quickly your priority, which you should have at this point in his career. So we'll see. That's the big storyline hanging over the Knicks between now and And opening night, well, not even opening night, Monday night at 5 p.m. is the deadline for this to happen. And we'll know by opening night when we're at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday as the Knicks take on the Boston Celtics. All right, your thoughts on this, your thoughts on the Knicks this season, 1-800-919-3776. Still plenty to do. Less than an hour from now at about 5.30, Tommy Beer will talk some more NBA. We'll try to do some predictions, some fun stuff, uh, MVPs. Uh, surprise playoff teams, stuff like that. Get you ready for the season. Uh, We'll also 
go through week seven of the NFL. And like I said earlier, don't bury the Giants just yet. Okay, They gave just enough of a glimmer of hope last Sunday night for me to not bury them just yet. But it's their last stand this weekend against the Commanders. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is is the Pat O'Keefe Show. From T-Squared Social on East 42nd Street this Wednesday, October 25th, before the Knicks tip off their season against Boston, the guys will be broadcasting live from noon to 3 with Knicks-themed merch and with giveaways. Brought to you by T-Squared Social at 7 East 42nd Street in Manhattan. Before we get back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776, you know, I mentioned earlier, from college football today, a top 10 matchup, number three, Ohio State, number seven, Penn State. And Penn State hung in there. And Penn State's defense can hang in there with anyone's. There were some red flags with the Penn State offense even before this week. They lost 20-12. to 12. They scored a late touchdown when the game had virtually already been decided. Um, Penn State, in the second half of this game, I mentioned how their offense wasn't anywhere close to good enough. I didn't realize how bad it was. In the second half, they had six yards of total offense against the Ohio State defense. 25 yards of total offense in the third quarter, negative 19 yards of total offense in the fourth. I mean, that's a game that was there for them. It was 10-6 to at the half. It was a one-possession game for much of the afternoon in Columbus and just not nearly enough offense for, for Penn State. So they suffer their first loss of the season. Interesting game going on right now. Tennessee leads Alabama 13 to nothing. They are in Tuscaloosa, and they are in the second quarter. You know, Alabama lost very early in the season at home, a lopsided loss to Texas. Everyone thought that was it for Alabama. They haven't looked perfect since then, but they've been perfect since then. And this was looking to me like a typical Nick Saban season in which it doesn't look pretty, but next thing you know, they win week after week after week. All of a sudden, they're in the SEC championship game with one loss and a chance to upset Georgia, and maybe we're talking about Alabama going to the um, college football playoff again. But this could certainly um, put a wrench in those plans if they are to lose today at home again. And again, they trail 13 to nothing midway through the second quarter at home to Tennessee, which is 5-1 and one and ranked 17th in the country. All right, week seven in the NFL for the Giants. One and five record, three straight games without an offensive touchdown. Now, if they don't score an offensive touchdown tomorrow, and I understand there aren't a lot of strengths for the commanders. One of them is their pass rush. So right off the bat, that's going to be a headache for the Giants. But they managed it well enough last week with what they had on the offensive line and with Tyrod Taylor's ability to get rid of the football and avoid the rush. If the Giants don't score an offensive touchdown tomorrow, it'll be the first time since the 1976 Giants in which they went four consecutive games without scoring a single offensive touchdown 1976 Giants that was the period in history when fans were burning their tickets in the parking lot to protest the way that the team was being mismanaged you never ever want to be compared statistically or any other way to something that the Giants did during the decade of the 1970s 
Well, they're one game away if they don't score an offensive touchdown tomorrow from equaling that mark. It's something that hasn't been done in the NFL four straight games without an offensive touchdown since the Browns went that long in the 2008 season. All that being said, they moved the ball last week. Couldn't find the end zone, as we just detailed. The defense was better than good enough. You know, the defense is the thing that I took away from last week's game. If you're looking for reasons to continue to make the Giants relevant this season. All right? Now, a lot of you might be listening right now and say, shut up. They're 1-5. in five. They, in those four losses, five losses, were absolutely non-competitive in three of them. Maybe in four of them. Last week was the first loss they suffered this year in which they were moderately competitive, even though they were very competitive. Shut up, Pat. Well, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to until they lose one of these next two games. And again, this isn't a murderer's row. We know that the Jets are good. I'm going to say it. The Jets are good. They're not great. They still have Zach Wilson as their quarterback. You know, we haven't seen Zach Wilson reach the level that he did in the second half against Kansas City since he did that in the second half against Kansas City. But in the last two weeks, he hasn't needed to do that. He didn't need to do it in Denver. He didn't need to do it last week against the Eagles. And they won both of those games. At the end of the day, that is what it's all about. But the Jets aren't a great team. They're a good team. Can the Giants beat them? Yeah. And they can certainly beat the Washington Commanders. Giants have played very well against Washington. The Commanders, by the way, games at MetLife Stadium, Washington is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They're the only team over the last five, six years that the Giants have been able to sniff beating in their own division. ESPN had this stat. Last five-plus years, Giants against NFC East opponents, 9-22-1, all right? Nine wins, 22 losses, and then that one tie last year against the Commanders. Six of the nine wins, plus the tie, have come against Washington. So the Giants have played this opponent well, and against the Eagles and the Cowboys, they're just completely helpless right now. Well, they only have to play Washington tomorrow. If you can win that game, if you can get two two and five, you keep your season alive with the Jets coming up next, a team that, like I said earlier, I would not pick for the Giants to win, but a team that the Giants could beat. Keep your season alive week by week. There is so much parity in the NFL. If you look at the standings and you talk every year about really this, everybody gravitating to the middle. You know, it's a 17-game season now, so the middle is 9-8 and eight or 8-9. Eight and nine. Go through the league to see how many teams are either at 500 or within a game of 500. You have the Jets at 3-3, three and three, the Steelers at 3-2. and two. The Browns at three and two. The Bengals at three and three. Colts, Texans, they're both three and three. The Raiders are three and three. The Chargers are two and three. That's the AFC alone. The AFC, eight of the 16 teams are within a game of 500. So every single one of those teams is waking up tomorrow in the playoff hunt. 
In the NFC, Washington is three and three. Green Bay's two and three, and they've been bad, but they're still in this. Tampa Bay three and two. Atlanta three and three. New Orleans three and four. Seattle three and two. The Rams are three and three. That's fifteen of thirty-two teams within a game of five hundred in the entire NFL. The Giants win tomorrow. The Giants beat the Jets. They get to three and five. They are just on the periphery of that. Hopefully, Saquon Barkley continues to get healthier. Hopefully, you get Andrew Thomas back at some point. You get Daniel Jones back at some point. And who knows? You know, we had a caller last hour, I believe it was, talking about Dable and complaining about how the Giants are being coached this season. And, yeah, Dable's style, when you're 9-7-1, and one, and you lead a team that had absolutely no expectations, you lead that team to the playoffs and a playoff victory, he's the toast of the town. He's doing a lot of the same things this year that he did last year, except his team is battling more injuries, the offensive line specifically, and they're playing against a tougher schedule. So now all of a sudden, he's acting the same way. He is not the toast of the town anymore. Now, could Dayball be the problem? Dayball's not the problem. He's the same guy who coached this team last year. There's a lot of other problems. Defensively, was a hu- it was a huge problem until last week. And that's what I keep going back to. The Giants on defense, what they did against Buffalo, gives me at least the interest of waiting one more week until I, for whatever it's worth, officially declare this Giants season over. Thoughts on this? 1-800-919-3776. Um... We're going to touch on the baseball. What a wild day yesterday in the uh, ALCS, in the NLCS. You look up if you haven't been paying attention, and every Yankee fan's favorite team is once again one win away from going back to the World Series. And thoughts on what happened between the Astros and the Rangers last night here on 98.7 ESPN New York.